get this show on the road. Welcome back to the Anakipto Forum. It's been a long week for me. Uh, some personal stuff, some technical issues. I won't get into that a whole lot. I did put a note up on the homework page so you kind of get the gist of what's going on. But we press on. I'll cover as much good material as I possibly can in the next few minutes, hoping that my computer will limp along and cooperate with us. Anyway, this is the Anakipto Forum one more time, www.anakipto.com. Homework not posted, but Karen's News updated. Lots of good links in there, so go to the homework page, click on Karen's News, and you'll see the latest links from yesterday and today. Email stevekirp at att.net. And I've got about five items that I want to cover today, so let's just get started. Item number one. This is a link that I got from a friend and listener. The link is called makebigtalk.com. Uh, in contradistinction to small talk or little talk, this focuses on big talk, big questions. I want to read some of these questions to you, and then I'm going to ask a sort of uh, an oblique question, shall we say. You'll understand it when I ask it. Here are the questions from MakeBigTalk.com. And these are conversational questions that you presumably ask in some sort of a setting. It could be icebreakers, it could be a small group, Sunday school class, neighborhood gathering, what have you. It probably could even be used as one-on-ones in order to uh, build a relationship so that you can share the gospel. I think that's one of the things that they have in mind. But here are the questions. What do you wish you had more time to do? Number two, what do you think you spend too much time doing? Number three, who do you need to get in touch with because it's been too long? Number four, what is something new you recently tried and enjoyed? How about what makes you feel most alive? Sixth, describe something you achieved that you didn't think was possible. 7. What gives you hope? What is a new habit you want to take up? What advice would you offer to a newborn infant or yourself five years ago? How about last week or yesterday? Question 10. When did you last cry? Alone or in front of someone else? 11th. What matters to you and why? I'll stop at this point. I gave you the link. You can check it out. There's 55 on the list. But the question that I would ask, now that I've kind of given you this as sort of bait, is how many people would be on a list of people that you know that you would be willing to deeply discuss these things with? Because I think it's fairly obvious if you're getting together with a group of strangers, you don't really want to talk about the last time you cried. Now, if it's someone who you really know and love and trust, maybe you're working through some things. I mean, I've got a local friend. His wife left him about two weeks ago. Committed Christian guy. He probably cried about that, but he doesn't want to talk about that in front of strangers. So the question I would ask, when you have questions like this, and you should do this as homework, sit down and say, if I were to go through questions like this, 
who would be the people that I know that are in my life that I would be comfortable discussing these things with? And maybe we'll get back to that. I think that we can pursue that a little bit. There is a method to my madness, but I'm going to leave that hanging, at least for the time being, and move on to the next item. This just in, kind of, uh, lighting up the Escatosphere a little bit, our friend Scott Clark, he's done three videos in the last maybe week or so, and I think I posted the first of the three um, maybe on Monday. I don't recall exactly, but you know what it is anyway. He is going back and revisiting his conjectures and his conclusions regarding the upcoming sign in the heavens that's 14 months downstream. And he has gone into some detail in explaining, first of all, why obviously this is not a sign for the middle of the tribulation. And secondly, his belief that it could be a sign, and of course it could be a sign, for the beginning of the final seven years. I wanted to play with that just a little bit because it's interesting stuff, if for no other reason than because it gives us an opportunity to take a look at the language behind the English and try and figure out what this is really all about. But my own conclusion, and I'll tell you right now, is that this is something that will only be under understood in retrospect. We cannot know from right now, from this point in time, if this is a sign that occurs at the beginning of the seven years, and I'm speaking now of Daniel's final week, or if this is something that happens afterward and gives context to this mysterious disappearance. We really don't know. One of the things that I think we do know is that Stellarium and similar programs can only really show us half of what's going to happen because there's two signs. The first sign, the sign of the woman in travail, giving birth, and then the child being snatched up. Now, the woman giving birth is the sign, the child being snatched up is the event. And once again, we don't know if they happen at the same time, earlier, later. I mean, if you read through the whole passage, you see that it's actually the front end of a 1260-day period. But the thing that we're skipping over is the second sign, which is the Great Red Dragon. Because you can play your Stellarium forwards and backwards, nothing happens. So this is apparently a sign in the heavens, another sign that happens at the same time as the first sign, and maybe authenticates the first sign. Which is to say, if the sign happens in 14 months of Jupiter going through ice, that once again, it has simply been one of those things that, while not necessarily coincidental, because coincidence is not a kosher word, but it's not a sign that we can really do anything with. Because it, ha it has to be two pieces. So, the second part of the sign, the great red dragon, what is it? As I said, Stellarium doesn't tell us. Some people are suggesting Nibiru and all of that could be a comet. We don't know what it is. We really just plain do not know. It's a sign in the heavens, and if the first sign is a constellation, you would expect that the second sign would also be a constellation. You, you'd expect that these two things would play together, uh, apples and apples. But we can't even safely say that because... Clearly, there is nothing that maps to that that's going to happen in September of 2017. My own 
belief is, well, first of all, uh, Scotty has backed off the idea that it's a mid-trib sign. Obviously, the time ran out, okay? The clock ran out in April of 2014, two years ago. And if memory serves, we were all looking forward to major things happening then simply because we all were fairly persuaded that this was a mid-trib sign. Now, <laughs> obviously, April of 2014 has come and gone. Uh, the world didn't begin to come to an end. We didn't have the war. We didn't have any of the other stuff that we anticipate. So, once again, a mile marker passes and we don't know. Uh, now the only thing that's left, there are only two possibilities. Possibility number one, it's a sign closer to the beginning and uh, time hasn't run out yet. But it's a sign of the beginning of the tribulation or happens in the beginning of this, and I'm speaking sloppy now the beginning of the final seven years, the first 1,260 days. It's a sign during that period of time or just before that period of time. Or the sign comes and goes as anticipated and nothing happens. And here it is, October of 2017, November of 2017. Uh, the sabers are still rattling, but the world grinds on. Now, I find that very difficult to believe, but let's face it, back in 2012, we found 2016 very difficult to believe. So we just plain don't know. We won't know until we get there. But that means that we need to keep on keeping on. We need to keep on doing what we're doing and keep on being faithful. And this is one of the things that if there's nothing else in eschatology, that remains. There will come a time when this current system is going to be wrapped up and everybody's going to get theirs. There will be judgment. The wicked will be cast into hell and all the nations that forget God. This is a yet unfulfilled prophecy. But we don't have any way of knowing, even looking forward to something as precise as the sign in 2017, we don't have any way of knowing what the significance is. We will only know in retrospect. Is it near the beginning? Is it after the beginning? Is it explanatory? Or does the great red dragon not show up and it's basically meaningless? And the only other possibility, there's two other possibilities besides that. Number one is some great cosmic thing happens and suddenly everything that Stellarium shows us that's based on Kepler's laws, that goes out the window. The model itself changes. And that, to me, is a little bit mind-boggling, but we're living in mind-boggling times. And the, the last possibility that I can think of is that there is a bug in Stellarium, and when we get to September of 2017, there's nothing there at all. Everything that was anticipated uh, does not happen. And I find that uh, hardly worth considering. I am fairly persuaded that the people who do Stellarium and similar programs know exactly what they're doing. Kepler's laws are still valid, and we shall see. So, that's that. Not going to talk about that, but uh, the link is up on Scotty's channel. I have not posted it on the homework page. I may put it up there, or it might be in Karen's news, and I just didn't notice it. But he put up another one, uh, a subsequent autopsy-type report about 30 minutes that he did, I think, two days ago. And then I think he did another one. He just uploaded it yesterday. So you can check those out if you're interested. I have not checked out the last one, but I will. And if it's good stuff, I'll let you know. 
Last week, the fiasco in Cleveland. This time around, it's the Democrats' fiasco in Philadelphia. I have not followed it either. I did follow some of the more uh, interesting stories that are not directly related to the Democratic platform or Hillary's remote chances. I don't even know if they're remote. We don't know what's going on. But Hillary's chances of becoming the president has... But what we have found is that the Bernie Sanders people went to the convention, they were ticked off, they were abused, they were ignored, and they basically moved out. And so the Democratic Party went out and for 50 bucks a day hired a bunch of actors, a bunch of extras to come and sit in the seats and cheer and make noise and pretend they're delegates. People that were not involved in it at all, but hey, they'll take the 50 bucks. And I'm certain that in Philadelphia, there's lots of people who would be happy to sit in a convention center for 50 bucks a day and cheer for Hillary. I mean, why not? So anyway, that's kind of what was going on. Bernie Sanders, who wasn't really a Democrat, he ran on the Democratic platform because that was his shot. I mean, the Democrats and Republicans have kind of commandeered the entire political system, and if you're a third party or anything else, uh, need not apply. I mean, there simply is not room in the system for you. So he pretended to be a Democrat, as much of a Democrat as he wanted to be. He is actually far left of the Democrats. He hardcore communist. I think we know that. But anyway, he walked away from the Democratic Party, and they said good riddance, and it was not happy. And then his delegates started making noise, and they kind of got run out too. This is the level of squalor to which the American political system has sunk. Too sad for words. But that was all that I really saw. I don't think that it is really significant as far as the political trajectory that we are on right now. I was talking with friends a little bit earlier about uh, getting America back, you know, this whole idea of reclaiming America and we want our country back. We cannot have America unless we can build Americans. And building Americans is basically illegal because true historical Americanism is based on biblical principles. And de facto, the Bible is not welcome. You can't get it in the public schools. You can't get it into the legal system. You can't really do anything with it without the ACLU showing up with lawyers in tow to take you to court and bleed you dry if possible. And so if you can't make Americans, you can't have America. And that's kind of where we are right now. The free fall continues. I'm not concerned. You know why. But anyway, at this point, why don't we listen to what Adam has to say, a little worldview in five minutes, and then I have a couple more items that we can talk about. I'll be right back. It's Thursday, July 28th, 2016 AD. This is the worldview in five minutes. I'm Adam McManus. Chinese pastor Li Guozi has been in prison for seven months after resisting government seizure of church hard drives, according to China Aid. Through the extended sentence and even torture, he continues to praise God, even finding rest in his imprisonment. In recent letters to his wife, Pastor Li wrote that, quote, no matter if the waves are quiet or the sea roars, our hearts rest in God just as a weaned child sleeps in its mother's arms, unquote. Psalm 131.2 says, Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. 
A great revival is taking place in Iran, despite the constant danger Christians face there. Since 1994, Christians in Iran have grown from about 100,000 to 3 million, according to a report from Christian Today. Although churches are banned, and despite a recent government confiscation of 100,000 satellite dishes, Iranian Christians continue to connect with churches throughout the world via Skype. Praise God for the Internet. LifeSite News reports the 11th ambulance call since 2012 at FPA Women's Health Abortion Mill in Bakersfield, California, for a woman needing emergency care. The facility is part of a 22 abortion mill chain across California. The chain hospitalizes a woman about every four months because of abortion complications. The Worldview spoke to Cheryl Sullinger with Operation Rescue about the dangers of abortion for women. Abortions are not as safe as some want people to believe. Actually, there is a risk of a number of very serious complications that can actually threaten women's lives. And over time, we've seen these complications at a number of abortion clinics, including the one at Bakersfield. The Democratic National Party now wants Americans to be forced to pay for free abortions. The new Democrat Party platform calls for the repeal of the Hyde Amendment, which bans direct taxpayer funding for most abortions, according to LifeSite News. Woe to those who enact evil statutes and to those who constantly record unjust decisions so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob my people of their rights. Isaiah 10, 1-2. CNN released a poll this week indicating 76% of white evangelicals support Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump. That's higher than the 73% support from white evangelicals that Mitt Romney got. Apparently, the mob of protesters got it wrong, as the lawful courts have closed the case that ignited the Black Lives Matter organization and the Baltimore riots last summer. All charges have been dropped against the police officers accused by the mob of handling the Freddie Gray arrest badly. President Ronald Reagan's attempted assassin, John Hinckley Jr., was released yesterday by a federal judge from St. Elizabeth's Hospital, reported CNN. Hinckley also shot James Brady, whose subsequent death was ruled a homicide. However, the judge gave Hinckley, quote, full-time convalescent leave, unquote, to live in Williamsburg, Virginia, while still under certain restrictions. Genesis 9-6 says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. On Tuesday, a young man perpetrated the deadliest mass killing of recent decades in Japan, a country known for strict gun control laws. However, 26-year-old Satoshi Umatsu entered a facility for the mentally disabled, armed with knives, and killed 19 people, injuring at least 20 others. In a letter to Parliament before the killing spree, Satoshi said that disabled people should be put to death. By contrast... King David shows how we should treat the disabled. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. 2 Samuel 9:13. Relying entirely on solar power, the Solar Impulse 2 aircraft made history when it completed a 27,000-mile flight around the world with a wingspan as wide as a Boeing 747 and powered by 17,248 solar cells on its wings, 
The aircraft cruises at 43 miles per hour. The flight took 16 months in total, manned by two Swiss pilots, engineer André Borschberg and aeronaut Bertrand Picard. No doubt Star Trek's Jean-Luc Picard would be proud. And that's the world view in five minutes on this Thursday, July 28th in the year of our Lord, 2016. Invite your friends to listen to this unique Christian newscast at theworldview.com. I'm Adam McManus. Seize the day for Jesus Christ. There is another recent story rippling through the escatosphere regarding Turkey. As you are probably aware, Mr. Erdogan just weathered a rebellion of sorts. It appears that some of the military decided that they were going to try and fight to regain their country from the tyranny of Mr. Erdogan's government. Didn't work out too well. And so now the house cleaning begins. Anybody suspected of lack of loyalty, lack of passion, is being uh, attended to, shall we say, re-educated, executed, I don't know. But the story of some of the aftermath is in SputnikNews.com. The author, Alexei, the author Alexei Nikolsky, and he writes, In a telephone conversation with Iranian President Hassan Rouhani on Tuesday, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan expressed his willingness to cooperate closely with Iran and Russia to settle regional crises and restore peace and stability to the region. But what do the Russian political analysts make of the Turkish leaders' proposals? Well, as expected, the main topic of discussion between the Iranian and Turkish leaders during Tuesday's phone call was the failed military coup attempted that rocked Ankara on Friday night. Rouhani emphasized that Iran welcomed the return of stability in Turkey and praised the great maturity of the Turkish people who showed during this coup attempt that strong-arm tactics have no place in our region. Well, I suppose that also depends on your perspective. But anyway, the story continues. The two leaders touched on the situation in the Middle East as a whole and seem to have come to a consensus that there are global forces who are not satisfied with the idea of tranquility in the region. Who do you think that might be? Does the United States State Department come to mind at all? President Rouhani noted he has no doubt that together with the terrorists, there are also, quote, some superpowers, end quote, trying to destabilize things. I think we know where that one goes. Now, you can read the story. If it's not in Karen's News, I'll put a link up to it. You can also find it, I think, on Jan Markell's website. But the thing that, of course, is interesting is people are saying, well, this is the beginning of the lineup of the nations that are going to gather together as the Magog Alliance and move against Israel. And it could be. I mean, I certainly don't have any problem believing that it could be. The players this time, Iran, which is known by its ancient name Persia in the scriptures, and then Turkey, which many people, myself included, think is Togarma, and then Magog, which is also in Turkey, 
And then the Russians, who are, some people think that these guys are, it's Ross or Rush, but uh, it really is not, okay? It's the chief prince. It's not the prince of Rosh. It's the chief prince of Meshach and Tobal. Anyway, those could be southern Russia, the steppes, or it could be Turkey. In any event, the fact that they're coming together, whether Russia is a player in the scriptures or not, is really not that relevant. And we won't know, of course, until this thing plays out. But Turkey is clearly identified. Iran is clearly identified. The fact that they are coming together to stabilize things. Well, make of that what you will. My own conclusion is that there is going to be a hook placed in the jaws. And the question is, what is going to make them reluctant to move against Israel so that the Lord has to put a hook in their jaws and turn them around and drag them reluctantly against the mountains of Israel? And the reason I say that is because this is on the front end of another seven-year period that we've talked about because the weapons of war are going to be burned for seven years. And while I don't think it's the same seven years as Daniel's 70th week, I think there's a great deal of overlap. And whether this rumble happens before or after the confirmation of the covenant is still sort of an open question. My own conclusion, as I've expressed before, is that this rumble precipitates the confirmation of the covenant, and the covenant that may be in view is the Abrahamic land covenant, that when these guys are done trying and when they have failed, then Israel gets all their land back. And it's kind of noted historically that whenever somebody rumbles with Israel, that at the end of the day, when the dust settles, Israel has more land. And then Israel says, we'll give you some land back if we can have peace, and then they say no. Silly. But anyway, I think the Escatosphere is going to uh, be full of stories on this as this goes forward. I am rather inclined to think that Mr. Erdogan is going to remain in power. And I'm also very much inclined to believe that this is going to be somehow related to the ultimate collapse of Syria and the total destruction of Damascus. Now, we haven't seen that one yet either, Isaiah 17. And many people think that the destruction of Damascus is one of the next items on the prophetic calendar. I can't argue with them. But once again, we won't know until we get there. These are things that we cannot figure out going forward. We can only see them in retrospect. Final random thoughts. I've been doing some thinking about symbolic things. Uh, symbolic obedience. Symbolic friendship. One of the pictures that I get in mind and one of the things that precipitated this particular line of thought was an activity in many churches called Grin and Greet. Maybe you've done this. You're in the middle of the service or usually at the front end of the service. You've had a couple songs and everything like that and then the pastor or whoever the minister, the main guy gets up there and makes a few announcements or a few opening comments or maybe an invocation of prayer or something like that. And then he'll say something like, Turn to your neighbors and shake them by the hand and smile and say, I'm so glad you're here this Sunday, or something like that. And then turn to your neighbor on the other side and smile and do the same thing. You know, so to greet your neighbors. And so you do that. You turn to your neighbors and you say, hi, I'm so glad you're here. Now, oftentimes when you are in a church service, as you have probably been in one, uh, you know the people who are next to you. So being able to turn to your wife or your son or somebody that you have known for a while and say that 
no big deal. I don't suppose it's a big deal anyway. But what happens when it's someone you don't know? Is this symbolic extension of grace or hospitality or goodwill? Is this really, I mean, obviously this isn't what's in mind. And the reason I bring it up is because we have commands from Christ regarding the way we treat our brothers and sisters. And doing something like this in a symbolic sense can we say, well, we've been obedient. I mean, he told us to be friendly, so we're being friendly. <laughs> he told us to be hospitable, we're being hospitable, whatever. Does the symbolic act of doing something like that, does that really matter? Or should we simply abandon all the symbolism? And I'm not asking for you to knee-jerk an answer, because this is, I think, a little bit more complex than it may sound at first blush. But I'd kind of like to explore that, not necessarily in the sense of grin and greet and hospitality, but some of the other commands of Christ that are in the scriptures. Do we really obey them, or do we understand it and we kind of obey them in a sort of a symbolic sense? Or if we see that it is basically a symbolic thing, uh, do we let it go? And I think we may explore that just a little bit. Well, I'll do the exploring, but I'll be very happy to hear any of your insights or comments along those lines, if, incense, if insights or comments there be. Uh, but for now, we're going to wrap it up. So by God's abundant grace, maybe we'll talk tomorrow. If not, maybe I'll see you on the mezzanine tonight. You never really know. But thanks again for your prayers. God bless all of you. Hope to see you soon. Bye for now. Got a feeling in my bones, in my bones, I got a feeling